Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll be reading two passages, chapter 2, 12 to 16, and also chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Follow in your Bibles as I read. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Now chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Odeus, and beseech Syntyche, as they be of the same mind in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Now use the word to speak to our hearts today, give enablement to bring the message, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the message last week, I painted a dark picture of our nation. As you remember, I said that our nation is given to materialism, Immorality, blasphemy against God, a blatant disregard for God's word, and thus we have become proud, arrogant, self-serving, unthankful, and unholy. Because of this, we live truly in the midst of a moral darkness. Jesus is the light of the world, so when people reject Jesus, they reject the light and therefore continue to walk in the darkness. Also, the Bible says that the word of God is to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So if you reject the word of God, then you walk in darkness and you continue to walk in darkness. And yes, we all agree that the world is in darkness today. We live in a dark world, but they do not realize that it's dark. Many people walking in darkness, all those who walk in darkness, don't realize that they're in the darkness The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, they call evil good and good evil. They they put darkness for light and light for darkness. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So being self-deceived, they do not realize they're in darkness. And if they continue that way, they'll they'll go on out into darkness, which is eternal darkness of hell. And so they never really get out of the darkness. When Paul wrote the church at Philippi, he understood that they also were living in a a dark world. You remember how the church at Philippi started. It's back in Acts chapter 16. 
the first convert, convert at Philippi was a lady by the name of Lydia. She was a seller of, pur- of purple. They were known for their purple dye and their purple garments and, uh, and things like that in, in, uh, in Philippi. And so she was a merchant lady who sold her wares there in Philippi. She came to know Jesus as her Savior. And the Bible tells us that, she, that her household also trusted the Lord, and then they were all baptized. And so that was the beginning of the church at Philippi. But Satan was not happy about what happened to that lady. And so the Bible tells us that there was this woman also in Philippi who was possessed by a demon. She was soothsayer, and she served under masters who sort of controlled her, and they got money from her soothsaying, and she got a little bit, and they got a whole lot, of course. And so she was used of them. And after, after this happened to Lydia and her household got saved, this woman started following Paul and Silas around and saying, these, these are the servants of the Most High God, you know. And she was bragging on them, but in a mocking way probably, and uh, because she was backed up by the devil. Well, finally, Paul got, had enough of that, and after a few days, uh, he, he dealt with the problem and he cast the demon out of her. Well, that made her change, of course. She was no longer controlled by a demon. And then the, her master, her handlers were very upset because the lady they had used and was making them money was no longer doing that, and they were angry about it. So they got the crowd in Philippi uh, all riled up, and, they, and the crowd turned against Paul and Silas, and uh, they turned them over to the magistrate, and then the magistrate uh, ripped their clothes, had them rip their clothes off of them, and then he had them beaten, and the Bible says, with many stripes. Then they threw, they threw him, in, uh, Paul and Silas, into the prison, and they put their feet in the stocks. And then you know the rest of the story, what happened. That's the account that we find that Paul and Silas at midnight, with their feet in the stocks, their backs being whipping, whipped, they were in prison, and they were singing praises to God at midnight. That upset uh, some people around them probably, but uh, they were singing praises to God. And then God sent an earthquake, and he shook that prison and shook the doors of that prison, so the doors came open. Well, the jailer looked at the situation, and he thought, oh my, the doors are open, and these, these prisoners are going to get loose." And I know the sentence, if I lose my prisoners, I will lose my life by the hand of Rome. And he wasn't about to face that, so he was going to kill himself. And he took his sword, he was going to kill himself. And then Paul and Silas said, Sir, do thyself no harm, we are all here. Now some way, God had controlled those other prisoners so they didn't flee that day. He said, we're all here. The jailer was so overcome by what had happened. He took a light and he came in into where they were and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. They get, the same, they get saved the same way. And the Bible says that's exactly what happened. And Paul and Silas preached to him and he preached to his household and his household got saved and they were so excited about it that the jailer took Paul and Silas to his house for a meal. I mean, they're prisoners. And he took them for a meal, and they rejoiced because the Lord had saved them that day. And that's the rest of the story, as you say, uh, from the book of Acts. Now, later, Paul writes a letter back to Philippi. 
the letter, part of the letter we've just read. He writes a letter back to them, and in the letter we realize, we find out that uh, they still are facing um, opposition. They still live in a dark world. They still have enemies against them. We see it in chapter 1, verse 27. And it says in Acts 1, 27, or rather uh, Philippi, Philippians 1, 27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. So they still had the adversaries. They still lived in a dark world. Their light was shining, but they lived in a dark world. Also, it says in verse 29, For unto you it is given the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. In a dark world, Christians who have the light are suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Then in chapter 2, verse 15, it says that ye may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. The word crooked means warped, and the word perverse means twisted. We live in a twisted generation. The word nation means generation. So you live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So they have adversaries. They're suffering for Christ. They live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And in addition to that, they have the problem with the Judaizers, which were uh, Jews who, you know, they say they're Christians, but they want to put everybody back on the law. And chapter 3 tells us about them. He says in verse 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. He was talking about those Judaizers. And in verse 18 he says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, now tell you even weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So the Philippians were still living in a dark world. They had the light of Jesus and they were shining for Jesus, but they lived in a dark world. So the question this morning for us is, How can we stand for Jesus and shine for Jesus in this dark world in which we live? How can we do that? Well, you might say, well, that would involve some serious things. (laughs) You know, that would involve some uh, really hard things to stand for Jesus. Well, we'll find out from the, the passage that it's really not that spectacular and uh, maybe not that hard since we have the Holy Spirit to help us that we can stand for Jesus in a dark world and we can shine for him. So that's, with that in mind, let's look at chapter 4 and we're going to see some of the things that we can do if we want to stand for Jesus. In chapter 1, uh, verse 27, he said, uh, Stand fast in one spirit. Stand fast in one spirit. And then in chapter 4, he says that we're to stand fast in the Lord. So how are we to stand fast in the Lord? Well, the way we can stand fast in the Lord, we also see it in chapter 2. And he says in verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So if you're saved, you can stand fast for the Lord in a dark world by working out the salvation that you have. That's not working for your salvation. It's working out your salvation. 
you are saved, so let the Lord work in your life to produce those, those acts of obedience to him. Work out your salvation. And then he says in, the, in verse 13, uh, For it is God which worketh in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. So how can we stand fast and shine for the Lord in this dark world? It's just this simple. Do what pleases God. Do what pleases God. Brother Mike McCoy gave me a, a bracelet the other day. I don't use the wear bracelets, but I did this morning. And it says WWJD. All of you know what that means. It's from um, Sheldon's book on In His Steps. And it asks the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? How we stand fast in a dark world? The answer is, do what Jesus would do. <laughs> Follow the Lord. Do what pleases God. Just do what pleases the Lord. Now, it's interesting that in chapter 4, we see those, some of those things that we can do if we stand fast in the Lord. Now, look at chapter 4, and we'll look at them. Therefore, my beloved brethren, and my, therefore, my brethren beloved, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And then he lists some things there to do if they're going to stand fast. The first one is this. Be reconciled one to another. In other words, no divisions in the church. Don't be at odd with each other. Don't be angry with each other. Don't be upset with each other. Don't have little cliques where, you know, other people in the church don't belong to your little clique. We don't have that in our church, but I caution against it, and I've cautioned against it many times because I've seen it in churches we don't have that here. Don't let that happen. And he brings up two people. He says, I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche, they be of the same mind in the Lord. Help those, help those, he says, I entreat the also true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me. They labored with Paul, but now they've fallen out. And he says, I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche, they be of the same mind one to another. Work together. Be reconciled one to another. If you're going to stand for Jesus in a dark world, you sure as Christians need to stand together. We don't need to be divided. We don't need to be uh, griping at each other or complaining about each other or comparing each other. We don't need to do that. We need to be uh, reconciled one to another. So that's very important. The Bible says in Psalm 133, that very famous verse as far as unity is concerned, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Jesus said like this in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So how are we going to stand fast in a dark world? Make sure that we as Christians agree and love each other and work together for the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says, striving, Stand fast, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So the first thing is reconciliation among brethren. The second thing is this. It's found in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, circumstances can change in our life. You know, there's some things that maybe will happen to you that you can't say, oh, I'm so glad this happened. We don't want to deceive ourselves. We know there's things that we're not happy about in our life. But the Lord says this, rejoice in the Lord. Let your rejoicing in the Lord 
override those things that are negative in your life. And if we'll rejoice in the Lord, we can be a positive person. And uh, it's so important that we be positive in a dark world. There's a lot of good that we can thank the Lord for. So rejoice in the Lord. God never changes. And we see that illustrated in, in Paul and Silas' life in Acts 16 at Philippi. What happened to them? Bad circumstances. They were hauled off to the magistrate. The magistrate tore their clothes off of them so they could be whipped. And many stripes were laid on them. They were thrown in prison and their feet fast in the stocks. What did they do? Thank you, Lord, I'm in prison. No, they didn't do that. They just said, thank you, Lord, for all your goodnesses. And they sang praises to the Lord. In the midst of trouble, we can always think of things that we can praise the Lord for. So rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. The Bible says it like this in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. It's possible to go through sorrow and yet rejoice. I remember my dad many years ago, but when he got cancer and he eventually died from that just a few months afterwards. And dad, when he was going through that rough time, he told me one time, he says, Earl, there's a verse that means a lot to me and it's over in the Psalms and it says, joy cometh in the morning. He knew joy was coming in the morning. You see, in the times of trouble, we can rejoice in the Lord. So the Lord says, you want to stand for Jesus in this old dark world? Then make sure you get along with Christians and make sure you rejoice in the Lord always. And then notice another thing, and that's found in verse 5. You notice this says standing fast. This is the way we stand fast. And he says in verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. I've shared this with you before. The word moderation there means sweet reasonableness. It means sweet reasonableness. A Christian should be a reasonable person, have a sweet disposition about them. It's the the mildness of disposition. It's a gentleness. It's self-control in the midst of trouble and uh, not insisting on our rights. You remember Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, And he said, what is this that you're doing, going to court with each other? I mean, brethren in Christ, and you're going to court with each other. You should be getting along in the church, and you're suing each other. He says, why don't you rather learn to take wrong and allow yourself to be defrauded? That's Christian. Now, how would we do that? Well, that's by being a sweet, reasonable person. And rejoicing in the Lord will really affect your disposition so that you'll be able to do that. If you're not rejoicing in the Lord, you won't be a sweet, reasonable person. But a sweet reasonableness is something that all of us need to practice. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, verse 17, He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. A sweet, reasonable person can take the hard knocks of life and maybe the, dis- the disagreements we have with each other and not fly off the handle, but keep our cool and be sweet and reasonable because that's the way the Lord would want us to do. And the Lord says, don't be soon angry because if you do, then you dealeth foolishly. The Bible says in Titus chapter 1, verse 7, there's a qualification for a pastor. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, the word bishop and elder and pastor are interchangeable. They're the same. 
And so this hierarchy, hierarchy that churches have where they have bishops that are higher, you know, and the lower ones answer to the bishop, that's not scriptural at all. A bishop and an elder and a pastor is the same thing. And the Bible says one of the qualifications of a bishop or an elder or a pastor was they not be soon angry, not be soon angry. So a reasonable person, and so we must, in standing fast for the Lord, we must have that sweet, reasonable attitude. And then also verse 6 gives us another thing. Standing fast in the Lord will we'll do this. Be careful for nothing but in everything but prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto the Lord. So a person standing for the Lord in a dark world will be a person who's praying. And the Lord says it like this. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Be careful for nothing. The word careful means anxious. Be anxious or don't worry about anything, but he says pray about everything. Let your requests be made known unto God. All of us have requests. Sometimes we make those requests to God. Sometimes we make them to each other. But we all have requests. And the Lord says, let your requests be made known unto God. So a person that's standing fast in the Lord in a dark world is a person who's praying, making their requests known unto the Lord. Make your requests known unto the Lord. You notice he says, let your reasonableness be known unto men and let your request be made known unto God. Man knows you as, men know you as a reasonable person, a sweet, reasonable person. And God says he wants you to make your request known to him. And so God wants us to talk to him. You know, God knows everything, doesn't he? God knows your need. God knows what you need. Why should you have to ask him for it? Let me tell you why. Because he tells you to. <laughs> because he tells you to. Years ago, I heard a story, and I guess it was true. I'm not sure. But the story went like this. There was a rich man who had a son. And he wanted to help that son and take care of that son. So he brought this son in one day, and he said, Son, I, really, I have all, all this money I don't need, and I would like to give you enough money to last you all year long. And so he gave him enough money to last all year long. The problem was his son never came to see him until the next year when the money ran out and the son came to see him. And uh, he thought, hmm, I think I'm going to change this. So he told the son, I'm going to still give you the money, but I'm only give you give you enough to last a week. And what happened was exactly what he wanted to happen is and that, that is that he gave the boy the, mo- the money they needed for a week, but at the end of the week, the son came to see him because <laughs> he needed some more, and he wanted the money. Well, the Lord's that way, you know, in a sense. He has everything. He owns a cattle on a thousand hill, and he owns the hills that they, 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 they graze on. He li- owns all the minerals and everything below the hill. He owns everything. Everything belongs to God. Everything you have is God's. And God says... I want you to talk to me. Let your request be made known to God. And God wants you every day talking to him, telling about your needs, telling about your joys, telling about your sorrows, telling about your troubles. Talk to the Lord. God wants our our communication. He wants us to talk to him. So a person who stands fast in the Lord is a person who's 
requesting. He's talking to the Lord all the time. And then there's another characteristic. Well, we need to add to that. He says, with thanksgiving. So when you're talking to the Lord, you make sure that you're not only just asking, you're thanking him. Thank you, Lord, for all you've given me. Now I need this, Lord. Will you help me with this? I thank you so many times you've answered my prayer and provided for me. Lord, I thank you for what you did for me today, but Lord, I need this. And the Lord says, accompany your request with, his, with your thanksgiving. So the Lord asks you to be a requesting person. And then he wants you to be a resting person. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you're requesting to the Lord, if you're rejoicing in the Lord, if you have that sweet, reasonable attitude and you're reconciled with your brothers in Christ and you're doing what God wants you to do, then the Lord says the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God will keep. The word keep there is garrison. It's like a military term. And it means your peace of God will guard you will guard your hearts and minds. See, if you're worrying all the time, your heart and mind is not guarded. But if you're trusting the Lord, he will give you the peace of God because you know he's going to take care of it. You know he's going to handle it. It's getting tough. It's getting rough. We don't know how this is going to turn out, but we know that God is going to make it turn out right because he says all things will work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And so the Lord wants us to rest in the Lord. Let the peace of God guard your minds and your hearts. Let the peace of God rule. And the peace of God will result in rest that we cannot understand. He says you cannot understand. It passes all understanding. Psalm 112 verse 7 says, He, and the context means he that fears the Lord, shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed trusting in the Lord. He'll not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed. He trusts the Lord. Lord, I don't know why this is happening. I don't understand it. It seems so bad, but I trust you, Lord. I trust you. You remember what Job said? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So we don't have to understand what's going on. We just have to understand our Savior And that is, he's trustworthy, he'll take care of us, he'll provide our needs, we can trust him. And as we trust him, then he gives us that peace that passes all understanding. Isaiah 26, verse 3 3 says like this, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. So a person that's standing fast in the Lord is a person who's trusting the Lord, and the result is that peace which allows him to rest in the Lord. He doesn't have to worry. He can rest in the Lord. And then there's another thing. It's in verse 8. There's eight characteristics, I think it is, in this verse. And he says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, and then he ends this, think on these things. If you want to... Stand fast in the Lord when all the world's in darkness. When all the world's all messed up, everything is so bad, and it surely is today. If you want to stand fast in the Lord, you have to make sure that your thinking is right. Your thinking is right. 
And he tells us how we're to think. He says, think on things that are true. Think on things that are true. Now, God is true, and God indwells us through the Holy Spirit, so surely he would want us to think on things that are true. The Bible tells tells us that part of our armor is the belt of truth holds everything together. The Bible tells us to hide the word of God in our hearts, the truth of the word of God in our hearts so that we'll not sin against him. And so the Lord wants us to deal with the truth all the time. And he says, think on things that are true. How many times we've been worried because we think on things that might happen? And most of the things you worry about never happen. (laughs) But we think on those things. We worry about those things. And we think on things that are not true. A lot of our problems as, as Christians is thinking on things that are not true about other people. Have you ever been... Have you ever been in the place where you thought something about something, somebody, and you said, oh, I know why they did that, or this is probably going on in their life, or that's going on in their life? Well, let me tell you something. You don't know. You don't know. And it's better not to deal with things that you don't know are true. You're guessing. The Lord says, think on things that are true. And then he says, think on things that are honest. The word honest means honorable. Important thoughts, significant thoughts, not foolish thoughts. Proverbs 24 verse 9 says, the thought of foolishness is sin. Not foolish thoughts, but honest thoughts, honorable thoughts. You remember, we're a child of the king. We're sons of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're royalty. And so our minds should be thinking on things that are honorable, not things that are dishonorable. And then he says, think on things that are just. That means correct, right, righteous. Think on right things. And then he says, think on things that are pure. In this old dark world, we sure have to be careful there because the world will throw all kinds of impurity to us and want us to think on things that are impure. God says, think on things that are pure. For the Christian, that will settle once for all any inclination you might have for pornography. It's wicked. It's from the devil. You don't want to do that at all. I remember a time in my life when pornography went in my mind. And it happened while I was in seminary. And it came to our house in the mail. I opened it up and it was raw pornography. I still remember some of those things and that's been probably, what, 50 years ago? (laughs) And I took it down to the post office. And I told the postman, I said, this came to my house, and it's not supposed to come to my house, and don't ever let it come back. And uh, they did something. I, I don't know what they did in those days, but I never got it again. But that one little dose taught me, don't ever fool around with it. And by God's grace, I never have. I have never on my computer done anything that took me to a pornographic site. I've never, in fact, I've never had that come up, thank the Lord. But pornography will destroy you. And it will be solved if you just remember this. The Lord says, think on things that are pure. And then he says, think on things that are lovely. That means pleasing. Things that uh, bring forth praise. <laughs> things that are lovely. That, you know, we've often heard, well, that's a lovely thought. (laughs) Well, make sure your thoughts are lovely. 
This will keep us from being sour and bitter and fault-finding and grumpy if you'll think on things that are lovely. And then think on things that are of good report. The, the word there, good report, it's, it's like a tuning fork. And you know, we as Christians have a tuning fork. He's called the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And when things come our way, thoughts come our way, we can use our spiritual tuning fork and we can ask the Lord, does this please you? And it won't be hard to determine that because the Holy Spirit will help you to determine that. So think on things that are of good report. Make sure they ring true. Make sure they're things that you know God would want you to think on things. On, on. Then he says, think on things that are virtuous. That means moral excellence. You remember in 2 Peter it says, add to your faith virtue. Moral excellence. So our thought life is to be morally excellent. And then he says, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise. In other words, praiseworthy. Your thoughts should be praiseworthy. When you think a thought that comes, goes through your mind, you should be able to say, thank you, Lord, for that thought. And if something comes your way and all of us have that happen, you no know, thoughts will go through our mind and we can, we can reject it and we can say, I couldn't praise the Lord for that. And so we reject that thought. So how are you going to stand fast in a wicked world, in a dark world? You have to make sure your thought life is right, that you think right. And then also, you have to do right. Notice what it says. He says, whatsoever things are true and honest, just, pure, lovely, if there be, and of good report, there be virtue, praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. He's writing to Philippi. They learned it from Paul. They heard it from Paul. They received it from Paul. They saw it in Paul. Now Paul says, do. You know, most of us don't have problems with knowing whether something is right or wrong. Our problem is doing. And so he says, those things which you've already learned, you've already heard it, you've seen it, you do it. Do the right thing. So not only think the right thoughts, but do the right thing. God wants us to do what is right. And so we as Christians are to uh, obey the Lord with our thought life. And when we obey, the Lord moves in and he gives us peace. Notice verse, verse 9. Those things which you both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, the God of peace shall be with you. Earlier, verse 7, it says, the peace of God will guard you. And now it says, the God of peace will be with you. Reminds me of Hebrews 13. He says this, he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. When you're doing what's right, the Lord is your helper, and he's always there with you, and the God of peace will give you victory every time in your life. And so we have to think what's right. So we've gone through these various things, but now we want to go back to chapter 2 and find one other thing that we do if we're going to stand fast in the Lord. And it's found in, in chapter 2, verse 16. He tells them, you know, to work out your own salvation. God works in you to do of his good pleasure. And then he says in verse 16, holding forth the word of life. So if we're going to please the Lord... 
If we're going to stand fast in the Lord in a wicked world, we need to hold forth the word of life. You see, there's, there's a truth we need to understand. That is, nobody has ever been saved by watching a good life. Nobody. Nobody has ever been saved by observing somebody's good life. If, they, if that was possible, Jesus would never have died because he lived a perfect life. Nobody's ever been saved by watching a good life. All those things are important that we do the right thing. But the only way a person can be saved is they hear a message. And that message must be the gospel. And we hold forth the word of life. Now, a good life might help you say, hey, this is true. But a good life won't save you. You have to hear a message, and that message is the word of God. And so if we stand fast for the Lord in this wicked world, we have to hold forth the word of life. And so that means we as Christians, in various ways, we need to tell people about Jesus. You can do it by a tract that you carry with you and tell people about Jesus. You can do it by a conversation that you have. You can do it by uh, other ways, but you in, in some way tell people about the Lord Jesus, and we'll stand fast in the Lord if we do that. And so standing fast in the Lord involves all of these things. Be reconciled to one another, rejoicing in the Lord, be reasonable to all people, requesting of the Lord, resting in the Lord, right thinking, right doing, reaching the loss for Jesus Christ, and we will shine for Jesus in this dark world. You remember what the passage says? Among whom, in a crooked and perverse generation, among whom we shine as lights in the world. We shine as lights for Jesus. Years ago, I was just a kid at home, and my dad specialized in coonhounds, and he only had one, and I think, before that, many years, he had another coonhound. It was a black and tan, but most of the time, a black and tan. But most of the time, he, he had uh, blue ticks, and he raised blue ticks. I can remember one time as a kid, I showed a blue tick at a, at a dog show, and I was holding that blue tick. I was probably about 12 years old or something, and, and I held his tail up and everything and held under his chin, you know, just for the judge that came around, and the judge went from my blue tick to a walker, back to my blue tick, to a walker, and finally he gave the number one prize to the walker. <laughs> and I got second place. But I was proud of that. But Dad raised blue ticks. But what would Dad would do with those blue ticks, he would take them coon hunting. And Dad was a coon hunter. And Dad, when he would go out to coon hunt, he would take a lantern with him. And before he would go out, he would take that lantern and he would clean the globe. What was he cleaning off? He was cleaning off the smoke that accumulated on that. Because if you let that smoke accumulate on that, on that globe, it will dim the light. What do we do as Christians sometimes? We can't stand fast and shine for the Lord like we should because there's sin in our life. And we need, to con we need to confess our sins and have the Lord cleanse us from that sin. And we need to have it all cleaned up so that our light can shine. Jesus is the light, and he shines through us, and we become the light of the world as well. But sin will dim that light, and will not be, they will not be able to see the light that God wants them to see. You see, the light that we shine for Jesus 
will reveal people's sin. And they'll be convicted of it. The Bible says like this in John 3, Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So our light will reveal people that they're wrong. It will also rebuke their sin. The Bible says in, in, in Philippians 1.28 that, that in nothing terrified by the adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. That means us living right, standing fast in the Lord, and letting our light shine will let people know they're on the wrong path. They're on the road to hell. And so it will reveal their sin, it will rebuke their sin, but it will also reach out to them for the Savior. We can reach out. Because our light's shining, we can reach out. It's hard for you to witness to a person when your life is full of sin and your lamp is dim and you're trying to witness for Jesus. They don't want to listen to you. But when your life is right and you're shining brightly for the Lord Jesus, they'll be more apt to listen to you. And so our bright light helps them come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So in this midst of this crooked and perverse nation which we live in, let's make sure that we stand for Jesus and let our light shine for him. And really, the greater the darkness, the greater the opportunity to shine. It's not hard to see a light when it's, when it's all around is darkness. So we have no excuse. We live in a dark age, that's true. But if we'll do what's right, we can shine for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for helping us to see this truth, that we can stand fast for you, and I pray that we will. And Lord, we can shine for you, and I pray that we will. If anybody here is still in darkness, they don't know Jesus as their Savior, I pray that they'll trust Christ as their Savior today. Help us as Christians to be the light that we should be. In Jesus' name.